Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. You have a Bible with you, if you would, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. We have been doing a, a series of messages we began a couple weeks ago, for those of you that are new, uh, which we're calling Your Sphere. And we're getting this idea from a word that is in the Greek translation, Greek, Greek, Greek world of the Bible. It's called oikos. And often when you see it in the New Testament, it gets translated household. Now, now, when you and I think of a household, we think of our home, we think of our immediate family, we think of our brothers and sisters, that we, and our sons and daughters that we, that we grew up with. We just think that's, that's what it means by a household, just sort of your immediate family, those that live under your roof. But back in those days, it was a very different culture. And a person's household, usually people lived with the person they worked at least lived on their property, and they would eat together, they would learn together, they would do things together, and that household where you work sort of made up your community. And so the, the Greek word oikos doesn't necess- is, a, is a little bit different word than what you and I would think of of household, and a word that we're using for this series is called your sphere. And unlike them back back in those days, we didn't do everything we do with the same people. If you think about your life, you have sort of different spheres where you live. You have a, 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 a sphere where you work. There's people you're around where you work. There, where you live in your neighborhood, there are people around you uh, that li- live amongst you. When your your kids' activities, if, if I remember being a parent when my kids were young, going to their football games and baseball games and basketball games, and you just sort of, there was a community that you developed with the the other parents and the other families, those of you that are college students, you know, you live in a dorm or an apartment, you are part of a fraternity or a sorority, you may be involved in a sports team. There are many different spheres in which you and I live our lives. Usually there's just a handful of them, there's two or three. And what we're finding out is that God intends to use you in a mighty in a powerful way within the sphere where you live. We looked at a verse in Ephesians chapter 2 a few weeks ago, verse 10. Paul was writing and he said, you know, we are God's workmanship. We, and then we are created in Christ to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it's really an interesting Verse. What it really basically is saying is God, we are God's craftsmanship. In other words, God, in, in the word there is common word for an artisan. God has designed you for a purpose the way an artisan would design a pot or a pan or, or whatever, just to be used a certain way. You have certain gifts, certain talents, certain uniquenesses that God has created about you that are very natural and very normal, and they're natural and normal to other people. And we tend to congregate around people that are, that are like us. 
And he says, but then we also are created in Christ. That means I am born again. I have been touched by Christ. I have been changed by him. And the combination of those two things, your uniqueness and God's touch on your life, your unique natural state, but then there's also God's touch, God's supernatural touch on your life. Together, God wants to use to, in your life that you and I would do things he thought up for us beforehand, before you were born. It's a really awesome thought, very powerful thought. And we're, there's a phrase that we've been saying throughout this series. I'm going to continue to say it, and I hope you will learn it. But we discover why we are, every one of us. We discover why we are as God uses who we are and what we are to reach where we are. We discover why we are as God uses who we are and what we are to reach where we are. Last week we saw a, a, a verse in the Bible, Matthew 13, 33, where Jesus talked about how the kingdom of God spreads and how it grows. And he, he illustrated it this way. He says the kingdom of God grows and spreads and expands the same way something called leaven expands and grows throughout a big lump of dough. And what would happen back then, a, a, a woman would take a little bit of, a, of leaven, of, of rotting dough, and she would put it in with fresh dough, and she would work it around, and she would work it, and work it all through it. And what would eventually happen is that leaven would spread throughout the whole dough, and when it did, that dough would rise. It would, just, it would rise up. And he said, that's how the kingdom of God happens. It's like God takes us, you and I, he puts us in a batch of humanity, which may be your dorm, it may be your classroom, it may be your neighborhood, it may be where you work, it, it may be whatever. He puts us in a batch, and he begins to work us through that batch in relationships, in you know, opportunities to get to know people. In opportunities to live the Christian life and to be an example. And as he does that, he is working throughout that whole batch in order to change it and transform it uh, for his glory. And that's what God is doing in our life. That's what we mean by sphere. And I want to talk about another aspect of this that is oh so important to being able to, to, to fulfill God's purposes in your sphere, to make an impact in your sphere. And, it, and in the verse, if you want to turn to it, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, this winter, I, uh, during COVID, because there wasn't much on, not much sports, things you could watch, I, uh, I get tired of watching the NBA with no fans. It just wasn't doing it for me. Sorry. Um, and so I started reading a lot more, which is probably what you should be doing. But I was reading, and, and I read several books on the history of Christianity. I read three of them. And actually, one of them was by a secular writer, a guy who's actually a very uh, uh, prominent secular writer. He's not a Christian, but he writes a lot about Christianity. He's a, he's a great academic, a guy named Bart Ehrman. And he wrote a book called The Triumph of Christianity. And he subtitled it, how a forsaken religion conquered the world. And if you read his introduction, he begins to tell you what he's going to do. And he, he begins to ask this question. And he, he says it over and over again. But he, he, one, one phrase he'll ask the question, how did a religion of about 20 day laborers, most of which that couldn't even read, in a very remote part, 
of the Roman Empire, how did that, three centuries later, become a movement of 30 million people in an empire of 55 million people? How on earth did this happen? And he says, well, what do you want to do is explore how did the most powerful social transformation that it inarguably ever happened in human history, there is nothing like the triumph of Christianity against the Roman Empire that took place over three centuries. There's nothing like it. And he begins to ask the question, how did this happen? How did this happen? And many historians have explored the same thing. And Bart Ehrman came up with the same conclusion every single historian ever has come up with when they explore the triumph of Christianity over the Roman Empire over three centuries. They just say this. It cannot be explained. It is beyond explanation and they'll talk about events that happened, and they'll talk about occurrences, and they'll talk about persecutions, and how the Christian faith, when there were plagues, would go in a, instead of running away, they would actually go to the sick and the infirm. They'd lay down their lives to take care of them. And they did all these things, and they talked about stories of miracles and all these things. But they said, in the, when it's all said and done, there is absolutely no explaining how the single most powerful transformative movement that has ever happened in human history occurred. It's unexplainable. Historians have no explanation. There's not a combination of events. There's not, they just literally go, this is utterly baffling. How this movement that started this way in this place with these people literally dominated in time this empire. There's no explaining it from a natural point of view. There's no natural explanation. But I would explain it this way. The last conversation Jesus had with his disciples in Acts chapter 1, you can read about it. In verse 8, he says this to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Here in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, and even to the most remotest parts of the earth. That promise of Jesus to those followers of his, his original followers, it's a promise to you and I, is literally the thing that explains the dynamic power of Christianity. It is the Holy Spirit empowers us to be a witness. A witness is a one who produces proof. The Holy Spirit empowers Christians to be proof producers that Jesus Christ is absolutely who he claims to be. He is the Savior of the world, and he's the hope of mankind. Proof producers, proof producers. The Holy Spirit is empowering it. That's what he wants us to become. You know, I've got a cell phone on me. You, you may have one of these. Anybody here own one of these? You get a little light laughter. When we're not competing with the children's ministry this morning, I understand, but we are at least, at least we can, 
I'm going to try. But a cell phone joke gets a reaction like that. I think your pastor's doing a pretty good job of, of providing some levity during these sermons. Wouldn't you agree? All right, anyways. You know, but he, here's a cell phone. You know, you know what? This, this is otherwise, how many of this, is, how many of believe this is probably the most important thing in your life? That's a, well, not your family. I mean, you know what I mean. It is, it is the most, it is the most useful thing in your life, maybe. It is, it is, you, 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 you depend on this. Listen, if this thing was not empowered, if there was no battery or the battery wasn't on or it wasn't turned on, you know what this would be? A paperweight. Power turns this from a paperweight into something that you can talk to people around the world. You can send emails. You can do all the things that we do on this. Power, empowerment, internally, internally being empowered makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference in your and my life as Christians to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples this when they left. Hey, guys, I know this is a big task, changing the world, transforming the world. You guys have done much right the last three years, but you know what? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will produce the proof. You will produce the proof. Everywhere you go, to everybody you know, you will produce the proof. And then we, when we talk about experiencing, you and I, the power of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> there are two things about the Holy Spirit that I think we need to consider that are both paradoxical. And there's a truth within these two paradoxes that when we, when we understand it, when we embrace it, and when we align ourselves with it, we really can experience the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And one of those truths, we, we just read a verse in, uh, in our inspiration in 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul's writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he says, you know, God didn't give us a spirit he, said, he says, I remind you afresh. He says, initially, I want you to fan into flame the gift of God that was in you when I laid hands on you. He says, I personally prayed for you and laid hands on you, and you received the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to fan it to flame because God didn't give us a spirit that is timid and weak and shy. He says, he didn't give us that spirit. He gave us a spirit that is powerful. It's dynamic. He gave us a spirit that is, you know, is, is, that, that is disciplined and, of a, and has soundness. That's the spirit we have. And, and one of the things that we, we understand about the Holy Spirit is that he has two things at the same time. He is powerful and he's sensitive. When we first find out about the Holy Spirit, he's introduced in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Bible says the spirit of God, and the word in the Hebrew is the word ruach. It means hurricane. There's really nothing more powerful on this planet than a hurricane. The hurricane, the, the, the mighty storm of God. That's what he's called. But then later on, we find out that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on Jesus like a little dove. Think about that contrast. A hurricane in a dove. God in absolute power, the Holy Spirit. But yet the Bible says we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve 
the Holy Spirit. What a profound thought that you and I could grieve a hurricane. We can quench a hurricane. And what Paul is telling Timothy here in this passage about fanning to flame the Holy Spirit. How, how anybody, anybody here ever lit a fire and, and, and hang around a fire? Anybody like that besides me? i got to love fires. I've got a, um, we used to live in a house, and it was a cold winter probably 10 years ago. If you remember what those were like, I don't have many of those lately. But we used to have cold winters, and we had a cold winter one time. And I remember um, we had a house at a den downstairs uh, in, in sort of a basement, and that's where our fireplace was. And I would go down there and read. I used to love a cold day, just go down there, cold night, read and, and study. And, and I would put fire, you know, put the wood on and then get the lighter thing very easy to do and you'd light it up and you see the fire I used to love watching the fire and stoking it but every now and then the fire would start dying down anybody familiar with this with fires and they just start getting the, the wood starts glowing orange and there's no flame and you know what you got to do I would do I would get this thing I think it's called a fan and we would we would you push it together like that you know what I'm talking about we had one of those and I would just get in there and I just and I'd do it for a little bit, and the, the, you could just see the orange expanding throughout the, and then you'd stop, and all of a sudden, you know what happened? It just a flame would erupt. It would just be back to where you want it. Now, imagine living in the first century when it wasn't a, it wasn't a given that you could have a fire, and fire was necessary. Fire was precious. Keeping fire going, keeping a fi the flame alive was a very, very big deal. And Paul's saying, you know, this is, this is how you want to treat the Holy Spirit in your life. The, the, the power of the Spirit. You know, treat it with sensitivity. Keep it alive. Fan the flame. Keep it stoked. Keep him going. Don't lose your passion. It is the most natural thing for a human being to do, even good Christian people like you and I to do, is to really lose your passion spiritually. And just go through the motions. Just live life. We can become this without a battery, with the power turned off. If we don't watch it. And Paul's saying, fan the flame. Fan it. Stoke it. Get this thing blazing. You know, there's another paradox. We find it in the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to just read it to you. So the paradox of the Holy Spirit's character. He is... Powerful, yet he's sensitive. And this is the second one here in verse 7. Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He's saying something else really profound and paradoxical about the way the Holy Spirit expresses himself in our life. God puts value in what's vulnerable. He puts what is priceless in the plain. It's just what he does. Back in those days, they would, if you had a treasure, you could put all kind of wealth in it, but you would put it just in a clay pottery box or container. And he says, you know, we are the container. We're like that container. We contain treasure. We contain wealth. We contain the power in the presence of God within us. He's saying that's who we are. Isn't that an amazing thing? That is who you are. College student, 
in your dorm, in your fraternity, in your sorority, on your ball team, in class, hanging out with friends. You are a, tr you are a treasure. You're an earthen vessel, but there's treasure within you. There's, there's power within you. Non-students, where we live, where we work, on the job, when we're gathered around our friends watching our ball games or whatever we do, there, we, are, we are that. We're a jar of clay with treasure within us. And this is what Paul is saying to these guys. This is who you are. This is who you are. Power in the plane. What was going on in Corinth was kind of interesting. They had a, if you read about the history of the church, you can read about it in Acts chapter 18. Paul went in, and he started, and he got things rolling. And it was one of the unusual places there because he was, the persecution didn't follow him there. He got to stay there a while, and he built a really good, strong church. Things were really happening. They reached prominent people in the area. It was a very uh, great church. And then he left, and then as he left, the guys behind him, some of the guys came in, and they got this idea from their culture. See, in Greek culture, there was these guys that would go around, and they were speakers, and they were called sophists. They were philosophers. They were motivational speakers. And they went around, and they would get paid really well, and they would put on these nice presentations. And so what happened, these pastors and these preachers started thinking, well, let's just be those guys. Let's just be like them. Let's just do that with, 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 with the churches. And, and they started dogging Paul because Paul wasn't into that. They, they, Paul didn't like what they were doing. And, and, but so there was just kind of a conflict going on, and Paul was away. And so they were, they were doing this stuff. And, and um, what they would do are things like this. They would get credentials. They would say, well, I am, and they would just brag about their resumes of, and their accolades and the things they've done. And so what Paul did, he wrote back, and he said, look, I tell you what, you can brag about your accolades all you want. I can, I can brag about accolades too. But let me tell you what I really want to brag about. I want to brag about my sufferings. I want to brag about my weaknesses. I want to brag about what I've gone through and what I've fought through and what got me here. So you can brag about your accolades all you want. There's, there's, I want to brag about my weaknesses. And, and what was beginning to happen in that church is the common guy out there watching was just thinking, well, you know, look at the accolades of our speaker. What, what can I do? What can I be? What can I do good? What can, how could I affect anybody? It's the speaker that is so wonderful and we're so, uh, you know, celebrated. And, and, and Paul was telling these guys, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what's amazing. It's not a guy on a stage. It's not a guy who has an impressive resume or accolades or endorsements. What really is impressive is this dynamic. Treasure in a jar of clay. What's amazing is, that you, is, is, the, is this precious and the priceless and the powerful that is demonstrated in the plane. He goes, you know, that's what's really amazing. And if you read a few verses before that, he talks about, about you know, being genuine. He talks about how he renounced things in his life that weren't right. 
And he says, you know, I'm, not, I'm being sincere. I'm being genuine. And he, and he talked about his motives being right. And then, and then he went through and he said th- that the God who's, who literally spoke light out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's basically just saying, listen, let me tell you what is powerful. Is you being you, genuine you, plain you, unassuming you, but letting the power of Christ be demonstrated in your life. That's powerful. That's persuasive. You know, we, we talk about people we want to reach around us. And we, we, we want to bring them to church services that are spectacular. And, and we should do that. And that's a great thing to do. But there is nothing more impressive to somebody who doesn't know Christ than to see a normal person live it. At work, at home, through difficulty, through tragedy, to see a normal person live it. Your life lived out, you being a spirit-empowered proof producer is far more powerful than anything myself or any pastor could say on a stage. Far more powerful. And this is what Paul's trying to get at with these people. This is what matters. We have treasure in jars of clay. So I just want to encourage you as you Go out this week, and you're thinking about your sphere. You're thinking about the people around you. You're thinking about the, the, the people in your classes. You're thinking about the people you work with. You're thinking about the people in your neighborhood you live around. You're thinking about the other moms and dads that you hang around. I want to just encourage you. There is something very, very powerful and amazing that's gone on within you. The beyond that brought about this miracle of Christianity. The mighty Spirit of God is within you. And it is awesome. And it's amazing. And it makes the plain powerful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for his power. We thank you that he is within us. And we thank you that in our plainness, in our normalness, in, the ex- in who we are, you can do something that are really amazing. You can do things that are really powerful. You can do things that, are, that really produce proof of Christ to others. And I pray we would do what, what Paul's talked about here. I pray we'd fan into flame the gift. We'd fan into flame, Lord, a, a love for you and a want for you. That, we would, that, if we're, that if our passion for you is just waning, I pray that we would, we would stoke it. We'd get it back. Father, we pray that we thank you that you have put value in us that are so plain. We thank you for the treasure of your presence. We pray we demonstrate Christ in a very credible way through the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.